All right, all right. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 14. Go ahead and get your Bibles open if you have it. If you want to follow along on the Version Bible app, you can do that. Open it up, hit more, hit events, find us, you're in. There you go. All right. Um, so we're in a series called Truish. What does that mean? Truishisms are things we say that are kind of true, but they're not really true. They're not 100% true. Uh, they might be true in some way, shape, or form, but like old Van Gogh there on the left, when you say it, I, you, know, you find yourself kind of going, hmm, you know, but we say it anyway, because in the world we're living in, half true is true enough. Truish are that we say that are sort of true, sort of not, okay? So we started with live your truth. Last week, John Allen Turner talked about God just wants me to be happy. Well, yes, he does, and sort of. It's not all he wants, but that is a piece of what he wants. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about I'm too busy is our truishism of the day. I'm going to be a little bit frank with you this morning because we all love each other, and you know I love you. I know you love me. So when you pick up rocks to stone me today, just remember... Uh, that this humble pastor loves you like nothing else, okay? But I feel like somebody in our lives owes it to us to just say, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am, is what you're thinking to yourself. You have no idea. Tim, all you do is sit in your study and pontificate. You only work 30 minutes a week. That's what you're thinking right now, right? We say we're too busy. How you doing? Oh, just busy. Why weren't you? Oh, man, we're just too busy. I'd love to do that, but we're just, we're just, we're just, we're just, ugh. I mean, we're busy. You should see my Google calendar. I mean, it's just stacked. I mean, there's absolutely no way that I could say yes to that when I've said yes to so many other things. I mean, there's literally not another moment in the day. Let's talk about that. Uh, how the devil uses something like that to, to convince us that we, in fact, can't do anything else. I mean, we could talk about the question of just, is it even true that we're too busy? You know, we could talk about how much time we waste. There's a lot of it. They did a recent study of CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, and they found the average CEO in a Fortune 500 company has about 23 hours a week of waste in their schedule. Now, these are some of the busiest, most capable people on planet Earth. So if they have 23 hours a week, I probably have a lot more than that. But we're not going to talk about that because we're too busy. Uh, we could talk about screen time. You know, Apple came out with that little diddly whopper that... Uh, clocks the minutes that you use your phone and so they've started actually getting this stuff to see you know where people are uh, uh, spending their time and as it turns out they did it by state where do you think California ranks close we're number three and the irony is the cold weather states actually use it the least you would think it would be the opposite right you're frozen inside what are you going to do except play around on your phone well they seem the Alaskans who finished last Seem to be doing fine with whatever. Now, the western warm weather states, California, Arizona, Nevada, not so much. We did very poorly. We spend about, in California, the average Californian on their iPhone spends 204 minutes a day. 
Now, just to put that on a scale, that's three and a half hours a day. That's 23.8 hours a week. That's almost a full day of your week. And that's 51.7 days a year. The average. Now, that's data. That's hard data. That's not how often are you on your phone, those kind of questions. This is like Apple clocking your minutes. And by the way, that's just your phone. That's not your television. That's not your laptop. That's not your time at work. So think about this. When you go through your day, like all of everything that happens today, you spend about that on your phone every week on average. Now, if you're younger, that number goes up. If you're female, that number goes up. Hey, I just report the news, all right? <laughs> don't, 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 don't throw rocks at me. But we're not going to talk about that because we're too busy. So we're not going to talk about that either. What we are going to talk about is the saddest parable in the Bible. And we're going to do it with a view toward the great hope that lies within that parable. And it's found in Luke chapter 14. Annie Dillard, the writer, was right when she said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So, how are we going to spend our days? Because at the end of the day, that's where our life is. It's consist- it consists of days. Now, when we get to Luke 14, let me set a little bit of the stage here before we read. It opens with Jesus and the religious leaders uh, walking together on their way to have lunch at somebody's house. And the problems begin right away. There's a man that's there, has dropsy. Jesus heals the man. They're upset because it happens to be a Sabbath day. What are you doing? If your ox falls into a ditch, aren't you going to get it out, Jesus says? So you keep going. Now, you need to know when the chief ruler of the Pharisees is there, you're not supposed to teach him. Because he knows everything, apparently. So people get upset that this is going on. The tension begins to build. They get to the ruler's house. Jesus notices where everybody's sitting. And he stops and he points out the fact, hey, when you go to these banquets, take the back of the bus. Take the worst seats. Don't take the privileged seats. And then, by the way, when uh, you invite people, I see basically VIPs in this room. Don't just invite people who can repay you. Invite people, the poor, the lame, the blind. Invite them in as well. So he tells them all this stuff. Sensing this awkward moment, somebody raises a goblet and says, Blessed are all those who will eat and drink in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a story. And he tells this one right here. Luke chapter 14, we're going to read verses 16 to 24. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field, and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Does this sound familiar, by the way? Verse 22. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone that you find to come so that the house will be full. You can underline that in your Bibles or highlight it on your app. The house will be full. That's what God's after. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. God is the one throwing a party that nobody wants to go to. 
Let that sink in. God throwing a party and inviting everybody He can find. And nobody wants to go. You ever been to one of those parties? Birthday party for somebody that gets looked over, passed over? You ever been in 7th grade or 8th grade and decided to have a birthday party and you invited a bunch of people and you're just kind of hoping that somebody might show up? It's kind of embarrassing. It's awkward. And that's kind of the picture that we get of God. But that can't happen when we sing worthy of all the praise I could ever bring and I will build my life upon your love and those kinds of things, right? See, there's a metaphor here that is um, that's troubling and it stares me in the face and it calls me to a higher way of life. So as I pursue it, I'm going to invite you to join me. When Em and I had our wedding night, I just did a wedding last night, in fact. They did RSVPs for that wedding. It was an expensive wedding, I could tell. And uh, so every plate counts. Those of you who paid for a daughter's wedding or some, can I get an amen from you? Those things cost. I got three girls, you know, y'all, we need to take up an offering like every week just for the Spivey wedding fund. And they're all bundled together. I mean, it's all going to probably happen within a few years of each other. So... Uh, College smallage, I guess. We'll just do the wedding thing, or will we? You, you, you get the point. There's, these weddings cost. So you send out your list, and you ask people to RSVP, hey, do you want the chicken or the beef? All right. So you get the RSVPs back, and then you expect people to show up to the wedding. That's exactly what's going on here. So what you're not seeing is a situation where everybody's just sitting there minding their own business, and then God shows up unannounced and says, hey, everybody, come over to the house right now. They, these are people who have responded yes already. Okay? So it says so in verse 17, if you go back and look. Because it says, The host sent his servant out to tell those who had already been invited. So this is an RSVP system. They've already said yes, I'm in. Count me in. Count me in. But when the moment comes, they're busy. They're too busy. Well, what's going on here? Well, the banquet refers to the arrival of God's kingdom in the ministry of Jesus. The excuses given in the story are intended to grab the attention of those of us who often put the business of everyday life ahead of the claims of God and His kingdom. But it's not directed to the uninvited or to those who had never said yes. The story is directed at people who had been invited and who had said, yes, I'm in. It's to the people who RSVP'd for the kingdom of God and then become too busy to show up to the banquet. Now we can tell, again, this is what is going on. Verse 17 gives it away. But here's the overall message of this parable. God wants your presence, not your RSVP. Like he'd rather you showed up without the RSVP. That you crashed the banquet. Than that you RSVP for it and not show up. So the host comes in, everybody, nobody shows up. So he tells his servant, go back, go out and find somebody to show up to this thing. He goes out, he rounds up a few stragglers, you know, brings them in, but there's still room. So he says, okay, go back out and compel people to come in. I don't know what they did. Pay people to show up to the banquet? Is that how, how it happened? I mean, I find myself feeling bad for God. 
Whereas I think he feels bad for us. Because I think underneath our busyness, what we call busyness, is a hidden belief that God's lucky to have us. Rather than that, we're lucky to have God. And if we understood for one split second the ridiculously profound privilege of being invited to anything that God's involved with, the fact that God would consider me for a fleeting moment, it would take my breath away and I would spend my life saying yes to anything He would dare get involved with me in. He wants our presence. He wants me. He wants my presence, my involvement, my celebration. He wants me at His table. He doesn't just want me to say, oh yeah, on November 29th, 1987, I was baptized into Christ. That was my RSVP. But now he's showing up and I'm like, I'd love to be a part of what you're doing, God. Unfortunately, I've got three daughters who all go to different schools. They are all involved in their own extracurricular activities. I'm a pastor of a church. I have a wife that needs attention. I'm a board member of a school district and that takes time. I've got uh, some little fixer-upper project going down on Grand Avenue over here that takes time. Um, I've, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm taking business classes right now in a graduate school of business. I occasionally teach college as well. And I could just go on down my list and say, I got yoga oxen. Ooh, I got oxen. I need to go see them. And God would look back at me and say, yeah, but you said yes. So, so were you kidding then? And all these things I've given you, your kids, your wife, all these blessings, that little project on Grant, all these things I've given you, and you're going to say no to me because now you're too busy with the blessings I gave you. Isn't that something? Starting to worship the creation instead of the Creator, as it's talked about in Romans chapter 1. Now, the first two excuses here are terrible. They say, I bought land, I bought five yoke of oxen, I must go see them. Okay, who buys things like that sight unseen? I mean, try it sometime. Come home and say, hon, I bought a house. Really? Where is it? I don't know. Let's go find out. (laughs) Haven't looked at it yet. Have no idea where it is. Let's just go see it. Or, hey, I bought a car. You did? What kind of car? Don't know. Let's go find out. (laughs) But I bought it. I mean, there's no eBay here. There's no nothing for them to, like, get on and do auctions or whatever. So they bought them. That's the reason they give. I got to go see it. Now, thankfully, the third guy gets married, and he doesn't say, hey, I got married, now I'm going to go meet her for the first time. <laughs> he says, Mr. Newlywed says, no, please excuse me. He simply says, I can't come. But as we think about our time, sisters and brothers, and our quote-unquote busyness, perhaps it's worth stopping to consider what we said yes to when we became a Christian. After all, this is for those of us who've RSVP'd for the kingdom. If you haven't, what you need to know is that you've been invited to that. The greatest privilege you will ever have is the opportunity to have fellowship with God in this life and for all eternity. Everything else comes behind that. At least if you're following the path of Jesus and the testimony of Scripture. Now this includes gathering for worship with your brothers and sisters, but it goes way beyond that to include putting the invitations of God, the, the, the passion of God for the marginalized and the poor, serving others, things that matter to God become matters of great importance to me. Why? Because they're great importance to Him. And in my fellowship with God, because our hearts are linked via the Holy Spirit, what matters to God matters to me. 
And that becomes the prism through which I say yes and I say no to things. See, there's a way to do almost anything you do in a very self-absorbed way. So, for instance, if I'm going to serve on a school board, I can do that as somebody who is interested in serving others, or I can do it because I think it will help me access power. Same thing. You can become a pastor of a church for ego, or because you're interested in serving God and preaching the gospel as far and wide as you possibly can, because you love people. See, it's not just what we do and don't do. It's why we do the things we do and why we say no to things. We live in an extremely impulsive society. We do what we believe will make us feel the best right now, while often giving second thought at best to what makes God pleased. Here's the question. What would God have me do? When you're confronted with making a decision about what you ought to do with your schedule, what would God have me do? The host responds with a flurry of invitations to every living creature. He doesn't stop the party. He doesn't cancel the party. He isn't content to have a dud of a party either. He just simply says, keep going out there. Keep inviting, keep inviting, keep inviting, because God wants his house to be full. There are three rounds of invitations. Every person who's willing to come. Now, again, in context, this is probably a way of helping the Jews understand that they've been invited And it said yes to the Messiah that would come. But now that he's here, they're not participating in the kingdom of God. But it's not just a matter of of belief. It's the things of the world. The excuses they're given are stuff you and I would do. I'd love to, but, well, Anna's got a show, or Nora's got a practice, or these things are going on. Without asking the question via the Holy Spirit, okay, I was invited to do this. This is an opportunity for me to serve others. This is an opportunity for me to do X or Y. What would God have me do? And there are times where you pick your family first. There are seasons where that goes on. Then there are other things where you understand that sometimes by putting my family first, I'm actually putting them first over God. They're becoming an object of worship in my life or a shield from me doing things that, because I enjoy that, I would rather do that. And I can throw my family up as a shield, as a, a bogus excuse for my lack of commitment to the things of God. Now, only the Holy Spirit knows. You probably know underneath. At least I found myself within 24 hours or so sometimes when I've messed that decision up. I can look back and go, you know, I didn't feel good about that. I think I should have done that instead of that or whatever. And it's not that like you make one of these decisions and, and your whole life's off kilter from that point forward. What God is interested in, I think, with us is a way of heart. It's the trajectory of our life. What is the foundation on which we build our decisions? We make our decisions and we build our lives. We are usually, sisters and brothers, busy by choice. Not by accident. There are very few things that make us busy that are forced upon us over time. If you're a kid and you're busy, it's usually extracurricular activities. You know, even school, that's what, maybe 188 days a year, something like that. Well, the rest of your year, you're not in school. So what's the excuse then? Well, they have these things called extracurricular activities. Soccer, 
baseball, softball, theater, dance, right? But those used to be extra-curricular, right? Extra-curricular, which means they're not part of the curriculum. And yet, most things now, because we, the way that we do things here in America has always got to be bigger, better, faster, stronger... Most kids involved in extracurriculars do more extracurricular than they do curriculum. They are out of school doing other things more than they're in school actually doing things. So sometimes you're double dipping on those things, right? And it's, you know, and now am I saying uh, then that it's bad for the kid? No, because they have parents. And so part of it is our job to help them understand. The, the system of priorities that the family's going to live by. So, uh, in some cases, you're going to very much do the extracurricular thing. Our kids are all in extracurricular things, and it's a blessing to the family most of the time. But there's always the desire for more. One more thing. 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 And what I realized is, if I keep saying yes to one more thing, here's what happens. When somebody shows up and needs my help, you know what? I just got to say, I got a bunch of oxen and I got to go look after them. I don't have any margin. Now, those of you who are going, so what? Well, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was at Moonlight Beach, baptized three people into Christ. Amazing day for me. I leave there, I go home, get in the shower, put on my monkey suit, and go do a wedding over in Fairbanks Ranch. The reason I could do it was, A, I had some warning, but the other was, I had not booked life to such a place that I had to say, sorry, I can't do it. Saying no allows you to say yes. Does that make sense? It's being able to drop whatever you're doing and say yes to God. That's what godly time looks like. Now, I have train wrecked that deal 500 times. So I'm picking out one where I did it right. I could give you a hundred or more where I didn't do it right. But have you noticed when Jesus calls Peter, come and I will help you fish for people, he drops everything and goes. You remember that? The idea that if you could clearly sense God was wanting you to do something, that you actually dropped what you were doing and you did it. Somebody is in need, and I have the opportunity to help them. I want to be able to do it. I don't want to have to say, oh, you know what, hey, I, you know, I can't do it because, unfortunately, I've got this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And what ends up happening is the more thises and thats that are out there, you know who's getting left behind? God. And it's not just the service piece. It's the, it's the communion with God piece. It's time here. It's time here. It's time in prayer. It's all of those things. I'm going too fast to pay the host much mind. Yeah, I know I RSVP'd for that. But I can't make it after all. Because i got other things. Jesus says to Peter, Come and I'll make you fish for people. And he drops his net and he goes. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you dropped anything to follow where you sense God calling you? That you dropped something? 
Next, busy is not the same as significant. Our lives can be completely busy and be relatively meaningless. Many people have ripped this quote off from D.L. Moody, but uh, he was the one who said, first, our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. The old preacher, that one's good. I mean, really, do you want to win a game at King of the Hill and then find out you, you won on the wrong hill? <laughs> you know, get to, get to the end of time and God look at you and go, hey, congratulations. I, I'm over there, though. Kingdom of God's over there. You're over there. Way to go. <laughs> you won at the world. Author Kevin DeYoung wrote this in his book, Crazy Busy. Great little short book if you want to pick it up. He says, we won't say no to more craziness until we can say yes to more Jesus. We will keep choosing dinner rolls over the bread of life. We will choose the fanfare of the world over the feet of Jesus. We will choose busyness over blessing. It is not wrong to be tired. It's not wrong to feel overwhelmed. It's not wrong to go through seasons of complete chaos. What is wrong and heartbreakingly foolish and wonderfully avoidable is to live a life with more craziness than we want because we have less Jesus than we need. Oh, why can't I write things like that? That's so good. I was like, dude, what is wrong and heartbreakingly foolish and wonderfully avoidable is to live a life with more craziness than we want because we have less Jesus than we need. If I'm busy, too busy, year after year, I need to stop and ask myself, what is going on in my soul that I feel the need to stay busy all the time? Especially with things that are, to you, for lack of a better term, off mission. Now, okay, well, what do we do then? Let me, let me give you a couple of things real quickly. To save our time, we must lose it. You know, the Bible talks about um, the one who wants to save his life will lose it. The one who loses it for my sake will find it. It works that way and with regards to money. It works that way with regards to time. It works that way with regards to anything. What I have found is the more I put stakes in the ground that are based on the kingdom of God, the more time I have. I don't know how it works. It's like the more money I give away, the more money finds me. I don't know how. It just happens. Guy takes five loaves and two fish, puts it in the hands of Jesus, and everybody eats. I don't know. That's just how the economy of the kingdom works. The one who's faithful with little will be given more. So when our time is actually anchored in the right place, we seem to end up with more time. And it's not that I'm saying, I don't, I mean, it's not a, a weird thing, but I can kind of tell by where I put the stakes in the ground. These are the non-negotiables in my week. That will tell you an awful lot about what your actual priorities are. I can tell you what kind of tent you're trying to put up if I can see what kind of stakes you put in the ground. I can tell you how big it is. I can tell you how sturdy it's going to be, how much it weighs, how many people you're preparing for, a whole bunch of things. And I think that for most of us, if we were to sit back and actually look at our schedule and say, okay, these are the absolute non-negotiables. Now, I mean non-negotiables, okay? Go back to the most of us are busy by choice thing. There, there's no parents, just for a minute, okay? There is no secret police that shows up in your room at night and says, you will sign your kid up for this stuff or I'm wiping them out or anything like that. We choose that. We choose it. We choose it. 
okay? Those of you who know my story, you know, I was very involved in, in sports and a whole bunch of other things as well. You know, in high school, I was, a, I was an elite, like, all-star athlete. I was, I was the state mock trial champion team. I was the head of the DECA chapter at the school. I was in a magnet program. I did all those things. And still, you know how many church services I missed? None. How about youth ministry things? We didn't have a youth ministry because it was me and my sister. We, we met at the house every day. It was great. Um, <laughs> But it was a little church, and, 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 it, and that was back in the old school days where you went four times a week. Not once. Not once at ten. It was Bible class, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. You know how many of those I missed? None. You know why? Because my parents wouldn't let me. Well, didn't you grow up to be angry at God? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We lie to ourselves to excuse our bad parenting. Did I say that out loud? I think I did. You know why? Because I lie to myself to excuse bad parenting from time to time. And then we wonder why our kids don't connect to the church. It's because we're not connected to the church, and we've never asked them to be connected to the church. Okay, you can't, it's like anything else. You can't, like if you just rolled through, let's say you're a, a, a dancer. If you just show up to practice once a month, once every two months, and at recitals, what kind of dancer are you going to be? Well, but we think that we can just show up like Haley's Comet in church and then be a great Christian. It's not how it works. Because Christianity is here. And where your time is, there your heart will be also. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. You ain't got forever, and neither do I, sister and brother. The party is ongoing. It will not be rescheduled. In his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes from the perspective of an elder demon advising a novice tempter about the best way to thwart a human patient. It's my favorite book. It's magnificent. Among his most sinister advice, as he's coaching a young demon along, he says this. He says, your business is to fix his attention on the stream of immediate sense experiences. Teach him to call it real life, and don't let him ask what he means by real. That right there, like right now, like even as I was talking, I won't ask for a show of hands, but most of you at some point thought, well, that's fine for you. But in real life, what do you mean by real? What makes that more real? Real because you say it's real? Real because it's unspiritual? Or is it real because if I call it real, that makes the other stuff unreal and it makes it easy to dismiss? I think most people... And this is what I wanted to say. Yesterday, uh, when the wedding was over, we're all out. It's like the reception. You know, everybody's out taking pictures and taking too long to take their pictures. And so everybody's kind of starting to grumble a little bit. And they're bored. They've had all the conversations. So they go, oh, there's a preacher. I'll go talk to him. And they show up and they come up and they go, oh, that was a wonderful service, reverend, or whatever, uh, whatever the title was that they, they, their heritage that they grew up in. Uh, father, I heard that one. Uh, and they came up and they go, um, they go, that was, a, that was a lovely service, thank you. 
My response to him was, I go, you know the best part of this? It's being 18 inches away from the face of a bride as she's saying her vows and a groom. I go, that is amazing. Every little twitch of the face. That moment that other people didn't see when, when the groom broke a little bit, but pulled it together in time before his next vow had to be said. That moment right there that nobody else saw unless you were that close. That's amazing when you think about it. I mean, what a privilege to be there. I'm closer than their own parents are. And then, think about this. Going out, Moonlight Beach in Encinitas yesterday. Going out, these three right over here. Raise your hand real quick. Jimmy, Jimmy Jr., and Cassie. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, we met on a softball field. We were coaching together. Jim and I were. And uh, we didn't realize who one another was till the end of the season, our first season. And he asked, oh, you're a pastor. Okay, where? New Venice Church. Where do you guys meet? 1300 Juniper. He's, my dad used to preach in that building. And that began our, our friendship many years ago. And then to watch Cassie, Jimmy Jr., That was 18, 19, and 20 on the year here at New Vintage, baptisms. And I think 21's our record. So if you're thinking about doing it, help us get there, man. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're two away from setting a new record, right? But, but I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at, I look at those three, and I go, you know what? Are you kidding me? Like, be able to go out there, and yeah. Oh, man, I drive all the way over there. I just don't have time. I'm too busy. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I think if anybody in this room, some of you have, and you know what I'm talking about, led one of their friends to Christ, they wouldn't want to do anything else. And the problem is, so few of us have done it. So we don't know how great it is. That's the parable of the banquet. It's God through Jesus, telling a story that says you don't have any idea how good it is because you're messing around with oxen. You have no idea what's on the table. If you knew for even one split second how important it was, if you knew what 10 minutes of your focus could do, we have some of the most insanely talented, amazing people at this church who haven't yet focused their energy on the kingdom. Your ability to, to drag 50 people with you anywhere you go. You, you know, you spend that on, on other stuff. You never have done that at church. Your ability to gather people. You know, your, your ability to jump into something completely, totally dedicate yourself to this. You know, what would it, if you took one year of your life, devoted yourself completely to it, what would it, what would it do? How would it change you? How would it change your attitude toward the church, toward the relevance of the church? How would God potentially use you? And I just decided, preparing this sermon again, this text, it just keeps talking to me in the face, just going, 
Right, Sam, how can, you, how, can you, how can you free your life of things that are pulling your head away? So, we, we learned a new board game last weekend when we were in Chicago. It's not the most elegant name for a board game I've ever heard. It's called Prostitution. Yeah, I know, I know. Just give me a second here, we'll get through it. It's a box of cards, you know, one of those games where you pull out the card and, it, and, and basically the game is how much money would it take for you to fill in the blank, okay? This is a group of pastors. So half the cards got to be kind of thrown out of the deck, you know, as you're doing it. But, but the friend who was introducing me to it uh, had a few ready on his mind. We were on a long bus trip and we were trapped in traffic and it was raining. So it's like, what else are you going to do? It's like one of them was, how much would it take to get you to get a tattoo of your mother, the eight and a half by 11 on your chest, <laughs> like Owen Mills style, like glamour shot of your mom on your chest. So you start playing around. It's like, oh, you know, so again, it was funny because most people were like half a million dollars, a million. Some people are like, I don't care what you do. It ain't happening. <laughs> nobody stepped up and said, no problem. I already have one. You know, nobody said that. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah. And then the other one, another one was, uh, hey, you know, what would it take for you to allow a random person, you don't know who it is, you don't know when it's going to happen, but once a year, somebody gets to come up and slap you in the face. Just at random, just a random person, wha-pow, across the face. Okay, well, some people were like, you know, I don't know, 500 bucks. I was Scotty Callen this morning. I asked him that. He said 500 bucks. So if any of you have 500 bucks, and we can go in on this together, and we'll make it happen. He's only 24. That's like 60 years of slapping we can do. So, but you sit there, you kind of do your whole, your whole thing. Okay, what would it take? What would it take? What would it take? When I teach college up at Pepperdine, I usually do it in a one-month window. There are 20 class sessions. Okay, they got to go 20 times. It's three hours a pop. And I tell them, day one, I said, I'm going to give you one free ditch day. You owe me no explanation. You go to the beach, you can do whatever you want to do. Everyone after that, is going to cost a lot. Now, if you come and you actually hit the mark, okay, then there's a big jump. So all they got to do is show up. You can sleep, whatever. You just have to be here every single time, except I'll give you the one. 19 times out of 30 days for three hours. Okay, and if you do that, basically you get a 10% hike in your grade. And the reason I do that is because I know they won't do it. Out of 30 students, I usually have one that does it. And the rest pay the other, get the inverted penalty for that. And they do the shoots and like, but I got an A on my final. Yeah, you got an F in attendance. But I only missed twice. I know. Remember how y'all were bragging? Oh, it's going to be the easiest class ever. No, you know why it's hard? Because showing up's hard. Showing up's hard. Isn't it? Now, some of you in this room, I'm going to tell you right now, y'all show up. You know who you are. You show up. You know what? And I think that honors the Lord. I think God looks at that and says, all right. Now, what would happen if you drove at least one stake in the ground? It's not church attendance. Drive it some stinking place for the kingdom of God, please. But put a stake in the ground. Show up. Serve. Serve somebody in Jesus' name. Invite somebody to come with you to something and do it over 
and over. Don't just RSVP for the banquet of God. Show up. Show up for God. How much will it cost? What would it take? How much money would it take to get you to do that? Well, God doesn't do that. He did offer his son on your behalf for your sins. So the question is, what would it take for him to accept us? The scripture says he's accepted us in Christ because that's who he is. And it pitches it back to me and says, now, Tim, you've been invited. Will you come? Will you show up? Really, what else do I have going on that's more important? Think it over. Talk about it in your growth group tonight. And let's ponder it as we gather around the Lord's table. We're going to take communion now. Uh, bread and cup will be served. Bread and, blo- and uh, the cup represent the body and blood of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And so I'm going to invite you to, if, if, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to, to, to repent and do that for others, it might be imagination. It might be, I wonder what God could do with me. Where could God use me? How could God use me? And sometimes you might have not have a clue, and then it's just simply going to God, God, would you reveal to me how you could use me? Would you open the door so I can walk through? And for some, it's just, I'm going to show up. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to show up. Because God showed up for me, and he does every day. Praise him. Praise him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup, we worship you now. Uh, For the times we were too busy to heed your call, we ask for forgiveness. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom to know when it's time to go, when it's time to rest, when it's time to say yes to things, even things that, you know, are recreational. We know that these are good things that you've put on this earth for us to enjoy, Father, but let's not, please help us, Father, not, not become people who consume your blessings and forget the blesser. May we not be people who are so frenetic that we have no time for Jesus. May we not become people who mistake the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, Lord, for you know, for something more than they are. So now, Father, we remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So that now, Father, we can be invited to your banquet. I pray, Father, for those who've never RSVP'd, that maybe this is the day. That they say, yes, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to show up. And for those of us who've already done it and maybe haven't shown up in a while, that we're ready to, to say, here's how I want to show up for the kingdom of God. I want to say yes to God in this way. Father, whatever, whatever it is, may your Holy Spirit guide the hearts and minds of the church right now as we gather around the Lord's table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.